Today's guest, like many artists who call the Central Coast home, works in many disciplines and mediums. Etched stone, painting, ceramics, and now book illustrations. Come say hello. Good afternoon. You are tuned in to Ears on Art, a segment of the Issues and Ideas family of programs produced at the studios of listener-supported public radio KCBX in San Luis Obispo. KCBX serves the California Central Coast from Salinas to the north and Ventura to the south. KCBX streams worldwide at kcbx.org. The studios and offices are located at 4100 Vachel Lane, just to the north of the intersection of Los Osos Valley Road and South Higuera. I am Stephen DeLuque, and today co-host Krissa Hewitt and I have a conversation with Ethel Landers, whose nickname is Tink. Tink is one of those people who turned to art after a career in the communications industry. As it turns out, Tink, Krissa, and I first crossed paths 15 years ago. I'm going to let her relate that story. Good afternoon. We are here in Napomo at the studio of Ethel Tink Landers. And of course, Krissa is here. Howdy. Ethel and Krissa and I actually have a huge, long history going back in the An art old world. History. <laughs> now, let's say long. Long, long. <laughs> um, so, when did we first meet? Well, I was, I think at the time, the oldest living art student at Cal Poly, taking Joanne Ruggles' painting class, and bless her heart, she locked you and I in a tiny room together so we could madly paint whatever we wanted. <laughs> and we did. We did. We did. I think that was 2003, possibly. I, Maybe at the end of 2002, but it was a great, great experience. It was for me as well. I remember because we pretty much had that little ante room to ourselves. Right. Was, and we could just create and have music and just throw paint. And we mm -hmm. were quite the uh, fun team. <laughs> and of course, Chris was teaching evening courses there as well. In Was it jewelry? Yes. I had to teach two of my jewelry classes. One was a casting class and I needed the time for the burnout to get the flasks ready to be able to cast so that would happen all day and then the class was at night. And the other was the uh, smithing, silversmithing class which meant a lot of hammering and noise so we did that at night plus the alternative of, or not alternative motive, but real motive of being available to the architecture students who had classes all day long so in the evening they could come and play. And they had absolutely no life either. <laughs> right. Well, that too. When you took the jewelry design class, that would have probably been a daytime one. And was that before this painting? Well, since I'm an older student, or was, and even older now, uh, I can't even tell you what time of day I took it. But it may have been in the evening because we did a lot of hammering. And I learned to really respect people who work with metal, and I have a tiny little silver bowl that oh, took me okay. forever to create, so may have been an evening class. That was, that was what that was. <laughs> <laughs> so we actually all met together in the evenings at Cal Poly about, oh God, um, 15 years ago, 15, 16 years ago. 
That's right. And I was determined after I retired from the telephone company, I'm going to go back to school and get my art degree because that was my goal in life. And of course, my initial uh, bachelor of science degree was in biological sciences. So mm. art had nothing to do with it whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> When did you get interested in the arts? You said you had a career with the telephone company. So when did the arts start taking over? Well, what's interesting, I remember my mother wondering why I could draw. I've drawn all my life, and I'm adopted. And so she was constantly asking me, how do you do that? Where did you get that from? Because I've always painted, I've always drawn, and she encouraged me to do that. So back in my years in grade school, we actually had art classes. We had art classes in high school, in junior high school. And so I had great teachers who kept encouraging me, and it was just my way of, for me, balancing. It was my spiritual connection to draw, to paint. And it's been with me all my life, but uh, and I've taken classes throughout my 67 years, but the reality is I wanted to get that degree. My mom got her high school diploma when she was 62. Uh, she was a, alive during the Great Depression and had very little money and had to drop out of high school. And so the reality is that determination in her, I said, by golly, I'm going to go back and get my Bachelor of Science in Art and Design. And... I used it then for a couple of future jobs as an older person, but the reality is just the experience. And I did travel abroad also uh, and went to Thailand with a group of students and just had a ball. There's kind of a running joke in my studio now with somebody deciding to major in art and the question being asked, and what are you going to do with an art degree? And our answer has now become live <laughs> yeah, I would say everything because exactly. if you stimulate, if you stimulate that creative side of your brain, I think that's why I succeeded so well in management with the telephone company is because I could come up with creative ways of doing things where others were black and white, you know, and I was always adding humor and creativity and it worked. And it helps you get away from the linear thought process. Mm -hmm. I think being creative you have to seek solutions in so many different avenues that, you, that you're constantly thinking of different ways of doing things. And I think that is tremendously beneficial in life in general. I do, too. I absolutely do, whether it's in relationships or in business or uh, in growing older, you know, as we face medical situations, you've got to be creative and come up. I, I, I remember Georgia O'Keeffe lost her sight as she became older, but that's when she took up ceramics because she could actually feel, use her hands and throw a bowl on a wheel. So see that creative solution, that problem solving, uh, that's so helpful for all of us. So I'd, I'd encourage anyone, no matter what age, take up art now. That's, you know, sort of been our underlying cry forever on this program. It's just don't be afraid. Mm -hmm. don't think that it's something that you're absolutely born with or absolutely not. It's just our responsibility to allow ourselves to discover. And as I've, I've said many times before is the fact that it's how I communicate in a certain way that I can't communicate in any other fashion. And I think a lot of people just don't understand that, that it's like if you can't be verbal or it's not communication, but it certainly is. Right, and it works in any and all mediums. Uh, one of the great things about having that background at Cal Poly is we, we put our hands on all sorts of media. 
uh, in all mediums. And so today I'm using rock and stone, and I etch stone. So for up the upcoming open studios, I have lots of stone work for your garden. But I've also painted, I've drawn, I've illustrated, I do watercolors. It's just so fabulous. And now I love to take uh, reclaimed wood. I have a neighbor who uh, refurnishes home, refurbishes homes, and he'll bring all his ratty old wood, and I go through the pile of it and paint on it, and it makes wonderful textures, and it absorbs the paint differently, and it works great for people's patios or outdoors. I cover my home in it. (laughs) (laughs) So again, there's art in every area of life. And so just to be able to educate yourself a little bit or get the experience of touching acrylic or oil or metal or stone, it's fabulous. Sidetrack into a technical thing here a little bit. Talk about etching stone. What are you actually doing? Well, this all started when my water bill went up to $500 a month here in Napomo. You know, we're, we're really on sand here. And the previous owners had a lot of grass. So we finally decided we're going to put hardscaping out front. And I didn't want just regular stone, you know, just a big half an acre of stone, something like that. So I started etching. I I had different dremels. I had different drill bits. And I started drawing initially with pencil on the stone. And it was sandstone um, from Arizona. And then I found that you could really beautifully etch. And then through practice, found that cement stain works beautifully on Arizona stone. And I've tried a whole number of stones, including some bluestone from Tennessee. And all of it accepts the stains in different manners. But it's fabulous to etch on the stone. I started out with oak leaves and acorns. And I was doing it quickly because the men were laying the stone in my front yard while we were doing it. And I figured, well, you know, if nothing else, I can get down on my knees and run an extension cord. If this doesn't work, and some of them out there have weathered, that's how I've learned what stain works and what doesn't. But uh, I can always correct it. And since I've done numerous uh, commission pieces, one man had me do his car on stone, his collector car, and he turned that into a bench. Another beautiful customer up in Arroyo Grande has a view of the ocean. She's made a four-foot wall that have eight of my stones included in it, and then a huge stone is the entry entry piece to her uh, garden area. And so I love working with nature. It might schluff off a little bit. That adds to it, and it kind of reminds me of the The art pieces I saw in the palaces and the temples in Thailand where over centuries one layer of paint peels off and there's Mm -hmm. another art piece under it and then another art piece. Well, nature does that for us. When you use the term etch, my mind immediately was going to some acid situation. So you're actually doing very delicate in terms of stone, in terms of depth, grinding, cutting in with small tools? Is that what I'm hearing? Yes, and I become uh, dust covered and I wear my masks (laughs) and (laughs) on my eyes and breathing mask. Uh, And each stone's a little different. Uh, Some from India didn't want to accept the stains as well, but they would etch up beautifully. And so it's just become this passion of mine creating stones and putting, uh, for me, one of the, my most 
spiritual symbols is the dragonfly, which I saw when I was at Angkor Wat. I had this wonderful vision of dragonflies, and then the next day at Angkor Wat, they were dancing around. And in Asian cultures, it's a symbol of rebirth. And art is rebirth for so many people when we view it, when we create it. Uh, And so I've been doing a lot of dragonflies on stone this spring and summer. Where is this location? Angkor Wat in uh, Cambodia. Yes, one That's of the, why I haven't passed it in my travel. <laughs> <laughs> yes, one of, the, one of the ancient uh, temples, yes, as a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Yes, yes. yes. You know, when Cal uh, Poly, again, gave me that introduction to Southeast Asia when I traveled uh, with a group of students and professors and did my last quarter of college at in Thailand, and it was such a fabulous experience to study the artists who are creating uh, Buddhist sculptures and... So I just became hooked on Southeast Asia, and you can just become overdosed with the beauty of art there. I imagine so, and I, your story about the layering at the Art Center, now museum, the thought was many years ago from Arnie Nyback, who curated there for 30 years, that he would love to be able to scratch through the walls in the main gallery mm-hmm. and start to expose the multiple layers <laughs> And dozens, colors, therefore, <laughs> of paint, and just you know, going well, that would really be cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think we all forget about that that nature does take its course. I mean, it does wear down on your artwork, and that's part of the process. It's perfectly fine. Absolutely, and some of the most beautiful pieces of art are weathered wood that you know nature has sanded down, and you see all those layers of paint or layers of wood and the the textures within the the natural wood. So I encourage people, start looking around your home and uh, your backyard and see it in a different perspective. See what you think might be a junk pile as potentially uh, matter that you could create a sculpture from. If you have just joined us, you are tuned into KCBX Public Radio in San Luis Obispo, California. This is the program Ears on Art, a twice-monthly interview-style program that promotes the advancement and the exploration of the visual arts. Today's guest is Tink Landers, who now describes her tenure at the gallery located in the offices of the Gay and Lesbian Alliance on Palm Street in downtown San Luis Obispo. And you were also the curator at the Gala Gallery for three years. And how was that? You know, uh, I had a show at the Gala Gallery in, um, it's on Palm Street, and I had a show there in 2014, and Paul La Riviere, dear Paul, had been the art curator for about 10, maybe even 11 years. And since my art filled the gallery, he said, you know, we're looking for another curator because my husband and I want to travel. And I certainly could respect that. And it was, I felt a little guilty. My art's in this beautiful space. Gala never charges a commission. And they've been so supportive, and I'd been involved over a number of years, so I agreed to do it. And I'd never curated anything, but I knew a lot of artists, and it's a beautiful space, beautiful lighting. And I met with the president of the board at the time, uh, Daniel Taylor, and he actually came here to the studio, and he said, my goal is that you just bring people together with art. And so I thought, well, I can do that. And Over time, I remember our previous office manager complaining that I was going through a lot of wine on Friday nights, (laughs) 
a lot more wine than in the past because my goal was to bring people together. And I started having more group shows because there's not, you know, we we were opening ourselves to new artists, to artists who might not be as um, experienced or as comfortable, but who had a message to share. And I never asked, are you gay, straight, transgender? It didn't matter. We're going to bring people together. And so over the past three years, we've really done that. And we've had... On, during Art After Dark uh, receptions, we'll have 100 to 200 people come through. And again, we go through a lot of wine, <laughs> and the board has graciously paid for that, and we have our license to legally offer it. We're a nonprofit, so we can afford to do that. But uh, it's been a fabulous experience. Right now, the show, I really want to encourage people to see it. It's our pride show, but I entitled it Proud to Be, and did an open call for artists. What are you proud to be? So we have Ingrid Pierce, who's proud to be Norwegian. And we have several transgender artists, gay artists. We have a Christian pastor pastor from uh, North County, David Resco, who does fabulous work, fabulous work. He initially called me or actually texted me saying, I saw your call for artists and I'd like to apply. And so I went, great, and I sent him the information, and then he went, then he texted back, oh, I probably don't fit, never mind. And so I reached out again. At that time, I had no idea he was a minister, and I said, well, why? Uh, I, we have artists from every walk of life. And so he explained his background, and I said, I've had many Christian artists on the wall. I'm a Christian myself. Of course, I'm also gay. So uh, that kind of opens people's minds. And so in any event, he's a fabulous artist, very welcoming, very loving. And his entire congregation, I swear, came to the last Art After Dark. <laughs> and his paintings are fabulous. He's just now getting back into art. So I encourage you to come see them. What are the dates? We're, this has been up now for the past month, but I take it down on August 17th. So you still have time to see the show. We're doing Art After Dark the first Friday of August. I don't have my phone in front of me, my calendar, but first Friday of every month, you know, except December, we open our doors downtown in San Luis Obispo. So come have a glass of wine. Look, there's 11 artists showing their art there right now. So please come and enjoy and just be. That's Gala has always been a place people can be themselves. We support that using art. And it's at 1060 Palm Street. It's just opposite from the county office building there. And it's a beautiful facility. So if you've never been there, please stop by. It's peaceful for me. It is. It's it tremendously is. peaceful. Gala, G-A-L-A, which is Gay and Lesbian Alliance. Right. And the building is at 1060 Palm Street. And we're open. Uh, Gala is also open Monday through Friday from 8 until 12 and then 1 until 5. So in case you don't have time to come by um, during Art After Dark, please come during the day. Carlos is there to welcome you and turn on the pretty lights over each painting and, <laughs> and uh, let you spend your time enjoying. And so I understand you've, you've handed the baton off. Yes, after three years, you know, I've beat the bushes trying to find new artists, and we've had wonderful ones. Uh, and I'm 67, for heaven's sakes. I've, I've had fabulous response, but I wanted to get more young people involved. And I don't have those connections anymore at Cal Poly, at Cuesta, even at Hancock. I know there's 
fabulous young artists out there. So Lynn Schmidt, who is um, a dynamic photographer, is going to take the reins from now on, and I'll be there to give her support. But uh, Lynn will have new connections, new opportunities, and I want to encourage people who are artists who may be listening, Gala is a wonderful place to show your art. And that's why, again, I encourage group shows as well as solo or dual shows, because that way you may not have 35 pieces you want to show, but maybe you have one or two, and that's why the group shows work out well, too. And it's not limited to LGBT artists at all. I mean, it's, they accept all artists. Right. I don't know what your sexual preference <laughs> is when you apply to, uh, and I haven't asked, but we usually, uh, now Lynn may adjust that a bit, but we usually have a theme and a call for artists, and it's up to you how you respond to that theme. I've actually had three solo shows at Gala. Fabulous. Two at this location and one at the previous location on Los Osos Valley Road. Yeah, and it's a great facility. And we've had uh, some very nice sales over the years, and the reality is Gala didn't ask that huge and doesn't ask that huge commission, as most galleries need to do to keep their doors open. Gala's a nonprofit organization, a 501c3, so we've always asked for a donation from the artists and suggest 10%, but that's very reasonable as an artist. If you make a sale to give 10% back to Gala, that's fabulous, and it helps us pay for the electricity and the insurance and that ABC license to be able to offer wine. <laughs> so uh, I really encourage people to come have a glass of wine with us this first Friday of August and see some fabulous art. And so besides the uh, etching of rocks, what is your focus on? Well, for the actually, I wonder if I should say since 2003, one of my focus points uh, started when I was at Cal Poly in Mary Laporte's illustration class, and we illustrated a book in that class, a prototype, of course, and mine was called Every Puppy Needs, and it was a, it was a children's book to teach proper care of animals. One of my, uh, you know, heart connections are animals, small animals, dogs, cats, and I've volunteered with the Humane Society in Santa Maria many times as a dog walker, and then I've seen the abuse and the the high euthanasia rates. Uh, you might not think that it's on the Central Coast, but it is. And as a grant writer for the Humane Society in the past, I saw those numbers. And it was like, if we could just teach young people how to take care of animals, maybe they can teach their parents and their grandparents. So I did this prototype book with a cartoon happy little puppy and child. And since... I kept wanting to do the book permanently, you know, and offer it to the public. But for humane societies, there's always that need to build a new kennel or spay an animal. The money needed to go elsewhere. So this year, I was looking at my bucket list, and that book was at the top. And I thought, there's got to be a way of doing this and giving this book to children in grade schools. So I started a GoFundMe account. And people started donating, and I needed initially $5,400. I bumped it up a little over 6000 now because I want to give away 1,000 books. But people started donating, many that I didn't even know. Friends donated, yes, but others that I'd never met donated. And absolutely, on Amazon.com today, my book comes out. I, I, it took me uh, over a year to illustrate it, and... 
many hours, many, many hours to learn all the different software programs to get it <laughs> scanned uh, and created and uploaded. But the book is in English and in Spanish, side by side, written at the third grade level. And the book will be introduced in uh, grade schools in San Luis County as well as in northern Santa Barbara County by grandmas or grandpas, volunteers who'll go into the schools and read to the children and then gift the book to the children. We're going to ask the teachers to ask the children to read it aloud to their caregivers. This way we're teaching people of many ages what every puppy needs, as simple as fresh food and water twice a day, as simple as a bed inside your home and safe, not tied to a tree in a backyard somewhere, as simple as a tag with your name and telephone number, and as simple as a trip to the vet so there's not too many puppies to keep in the future. And I have a cute little picture of my dog Jack with a Band-Aid on his belly uh, where he went to the vet so we wouldn't have too many puppies to keep. So anyone who's interested in that, grandma I, it's written by Grandma Tink, that's my nickname Tink, and um, so I wrote it as wrote it and illustrated it as Grandma Tink, and it's now on Amazon.com, soon to be in Europe, soon to be available on Kindle, and the goal is, again, to self-fund this program so we can grow it in school after school after school and gift this book to other children. Are you fluent in Spanish? Not a bit. <laughs> However, some great volunteers are who took my words, turned it into third grade Spanish for children. Mm -hmm. I'm actually better since I wrote this book because I've edited it so many times <laughs> that I now can basically read it and understand what it's saying in English and Spanish. And you know, that's one of the added benefits is, is people with the ability in one language can read it in the other and vice versa. And I'm hoping that works especially for the children to educate their caregivers. So is the tagline, this applies to cats too? <laughs> Actually, it does apply to cats because in the illustrations, Grandma Tink, see, lives with her two kitties and uh, her grandson, Noah. And Noah wants a puppy. So that, the kitties are implied, and the kitties are throughout the illustrations. Uh, so we don't want to shortchange kitties. But the whole, <laughs> I think in, in Spanish, the, uh, the subtitle is Cara Cachorro Necesita, and I think a cachorro is a small animal. Not that I'm rooting for the cats. I was just thinking about I'm rooting for the cats. process of you know, education. I think it's a very exciting idea. Well, the, the most important thing, I mean, as far as when we tie it back to art, um, art for me is spirit, and so are animals. To me... Uh, uh, not to get into religion, but for me, art and animals connect me to God. Whatever God is in your imagination or in your belief system, that's the great positive spirit. And animals show it, and they deserve our proper care. And actually, I think they're kind of like the little furry angels on earth, here to teach us lessons and to help be with us when we're in need. And if I can make their lives a little bit easier and a little less suffering with this book, uh, I bring my spiritual connections of art and animals full circle that way. Thank you, Ethel Tink, if I can Tink, call you Tink. Absolutely, either one. <laughs> Thank you for spending the afternoon with us. You're absolutely welcome. Thank you.
You have been listening to Ears on Art here on KCBX Public Radio. Our guest today has been Ethel Tink, T-I-N-K, Landers, an artist who lives in Royal Grande and is involved with many different disciplines. We'll follow up next week with part two and learn about the workshops and classes that she conducts at her studio. Ethel is finishing up a three-year term as curator of the gallery at Gala, which is located on Palm Street across from the Government Center. The group show currently on display, I Am Proud to Be, will be up through August 17th and is most definitely open this Friday for Art After Dark from 6 to 9. For a complete listing of Art After Dark activities in downtown San Luis Obispo, please go to artsobispo.org. Ears on Art is a locally produced program here at the studios of KCBX Public Radio. Co-host Stephen DeLuke and I create it for you each month. So until next week, with part two of our visit with Ethel Landers, Stephen DeLuke and I, Chrissy Hewitt, want to thank you so much for listening. Mm -hmm.